Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. How you guys doing today? All right, it's a good day to be at the Creek. Welcome to those who are here in this room. Welcome to our South Campus, our Grovetown Campus, our Dream Center. Wherever you're watching today, man, we are so glad you're here for part two of the, the series, Life's Biggest Questions. And like JT just said, last week was powerful. If you missed Pastor Marty's sermon on what happens when I die, it is, to me, one of the best sermons about heaven and hell I've ever heard. It was so profound, so meaningful. Check that out if you missed it. Today, we're gonna jump into... Why do bad things happen? But before we do, we gotta, I'm gonna honor a very, very special group of people who are with us today, okay? So here's, here's what's been going on this semester. So uh, Pastor J.T. Black, uh, in partnership with Lee University, helped orchestrate a brand new pilot program here at Stevens Creek Church this semester where students from Lee University would come here as interns and work, but also study. And we would offer classes from here, uh, classes in preaching and teaching, different classes. I was able to teach one of them. And we've had three students with us this whole semester. I'm going to put their pictures up. So these are three world changers we've got right here. So imagine there's a picture. There we go. All right. Nick, Chloe, and Blake. And it has been a privilege to just learn from them. They've rolled up their sleeves and worked hard at all three of our campuses and our Dream Center. But all good things must come to an end. And today's our last day with us. But they're here in this service. So you guys stand up so we can clap for you. We love you guys. Here they are. You guys are amazing. And I got to try to not cry. <laughs> now, they have been amazing. Seriously, you, you've, you've left this church better than you found it. You have impacted all of us. And you came to learn, but you actually taught us a whole lot. And you've got such a bright future. And we're just so excited for you guys. And excited for all of you guys to be here today as we open up God's Word and answer one of the toughest questions out there. Like, why do bad things happen? And we all have this question, right? God, why? So we have little things and big things. God, why? Why do I always pick the longest line at Walmart? Like, I, I guess which one's gonna go fastest? It's always the slow line. God, why, wh why did you make me an Atlanta Falcons fan? Why could I not be a, a fan of a team that wins? Like, why do you, you give my heart to a team that's gonna break it? God, why little things? But then there are big things, right? Like, why is there war? Why is there cancer? Why is there injustice? And these big questions, why do bad things happen? That's one of the main issues that has kept some people from ever coming to faith in God in the first place because they get stuck on this question. Well, if, if God's all-powerful and if he's good, then why would he allow bad things to happen and not intervene more often when they do? That was the intellectual objection for a guy named C.S. Lewis. For the first half of his life, he lived as an atheist because he'd seen so much hard stuff. He'd fought in World War I. His best friend was killed right next to him. He, he lived and just saw the, the horrific, most horrific things that, that human beings can do and that the world can do. And he just thought, if God is good, then, or if there is a God at all, then why would this stuff be happening? But ultimately, on his quest to answer that question, he found faith in Christ. And it was some of the hard stuff in the world that pointed him to a good and loving God. And he became not only a Christian, but one of the most prolific and impactful Christian thinkers and writers of all time. And these are some of the words that he wrote after coming to faith in Christ about how he used to think back when he was stuck on this question of why do bad things happen. He says this, 
My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how would I got this idea of just and unjust? I mean, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. So what was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Now, he's like 100 times smarter than me, so let me kind of like dumb this down to my level. He's essentially saying, if there is no God, if there is no like moral law giver and the universe is just what it is, then how can we really say anything is just or unjust? What is the standard we're using when we see someone who's strong taking advantage of someone who's weak? We could just say, well, that's just nature. That's just life. That's just how the universe works. But yet there's something inside of us that when we see injustice knows that it's wrong. And he said, the only reason we could know that it's wrong is there's some moral law, some higher goodness that's programmed within us. And that has to come from God, from a good and loving God who wants us to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And that ultimately put him on a quest of finding that that God was real and that his son, Jesus Christ, had paid the price for our sins on the cross. And C.S. Lewis put his faith in Christ and, and changed the world as a result. But this still leaves the question like, well, why do bad things happen? I mean, we put our faith in God, many of us, most of us, but we still wrestle with this. Why is there so much hard stuff? Why is there so much bad stuff? Well, the simplest answer to that is that we broke the world with sins. God created a perfect world right at the beginning in Genesis, and he created human beings, us in his image, and he gave us the free will to make choices, and our very first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel. They chose to do things their own way instead of God's way, and they invited sin into the world, and that sin has just kind of broken the world, and the world's been sick ever since, and all of us have been adding to it with our own sin and our own rebellion. And so the world is straining under that brokenness. And Jesus came into this broken world on a rescue mission to set us free from the penalty and the consequence that our own sin had caused. He gave his life on the cross so that when we put our faith and trust in him, we could be made right with God once and for all. And because of that, we're set free from the eternal penalty of sin, but still we're, we're left to deal with the world that's still broken. Even once Christ has changed our hearts, we still gotta deal with, with war and famine and injustice and our own sinful nature and all of that stuff. And so that's why Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens, but don't be discouraged by it either because Jesus said, I've overcome the world. So put your faith and trust in me and know that the pain that's happening right now is temporary. The injustice is temporary. One day, I'm gonna make all things new, set all things right. And in the meantime, it's your job and mine to do our part to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That prayer, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, isn't just a prayer, it's a, it's a call to action for us to roll up our sleeves and show the love of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. Even when we ourselves are experiencing pain and hardship and disease and everything else, that we can trust that God is with us in it. But the big picture question, like why do bad things happen? Like, I think that's not really where we get stuck. We get stuck when we make it personal. What we really wanna know is why do bad things happen to me, right? It's like, it's not that we don't care about war and famine and everything else happening in other places, but really what we wanna know is like, God, why, why am I going through this thing right now? Like, why am I going through this hard thing right now? And God, I... I didn't deserve this. You notice how all of us, though, we feel like, like everybody else deserves justice and, and we deserve grace. You get, that's how I feel sometimes. Like if I'm speeding down the road and I see a cop, like I, I hit the brakes and I'm like, Lord, if he pulls me over, like I, I was going so, it was an important, I, I lost track. Like I'm a good person. I don't deserve a ticket. I deserve grace. But when somebody passes me really fast, 
and then I, I pull up the road and I see that they got pulled over, I like want to slow down and be like, yeah, get them. Prison, no ticket, just put them straight to prison. Like nobody passes me, like, you know, justice. So we think we need grace, everybody else needs justice. But you know, the truth is all of us, all of us sometimes blow it. And some of the bad things we experience, this is, this is the hardest point in the whole sermon. Sometimes bad things happen because of bad choices and more specifically because of our own bad choices. Some of the hardship in life, we invited there. Not, not all of it, certainly not all of it. And God isn't up there like punishing us. That's not how he works. He's not like, oh, you cheated on that test in seventh grade. So I'm gonna you know, stricken you with this hardship now in adulthood. That's not at all how God works. But just the natural order of things, when you do cheat on a test, you know, you're more likely to end up getting in trouble in school. Not always, sometimes you get away with it, but it doesn't make it right. And in the end, God always works what's going on in our heart, whether we experience natural consequences or not. But there's a, there's a certain level of cause and effect. You know, if you're making healthy choices, you're more likely to be healthy. If you're making good relationship choices, you're more likely to have good relationships. If you're always mean to people and you're always, you know, cheating people and dishonest, you're more likely to have straining relationships. Sometimes though you do everything right and still bad stuff happens. That's part of how we know the false doctrine of, of karma is not true. Our world is obsessed with this notion of karma. Like, oh, karma, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, bad things are gonna happen to you if you do bad things. And it's like, well, here, here's, here's the deal with karma. Karma is, is a false doctrine from a false religion. There's a hair's truth in it in Christianity, and we'll talk about what that is, but you can look around the world and tell that karma's not really true, right? Because you all know some jerks where everything seems to go right for them, right? You know these people. Some of you are these people, maybe. If, if you don't know them, you're not nodding your head. It's like, you might be the guy, you might be the girl. So, and you also know other people where it seems like they do everything right, but they have all this hardship. They have all this difficulty in their life. And you think, well, that just can't be right. So we know that, that on face value, karma can't be right. And it's not because God has an eternal perspective. Karma's all focused on what happens in this life. But God's focused on what's happening for eternal life and how the hardships of this temporary life are actually shaping our character for the life to come. And that's, that's where everything is gonna be set right and made whole and made new and make sense. And in the meantime, in the meantime, sometimes there's just injustice. But the, the, the hair's truth of it is, there are times we reap what we sow. And this is what the Bible says about that. Galatians chapter six, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So even here, even with this whole reap and sow, this, in Jesus, the Bible always used these uh, agricultural metaphors, mostly because most of who they were talking to, these were farmers. These were people who lived off the land. They understood this concept of what you plant is ultimately gonna grow in, into a certain thing based on how you planted it and how you cared for it. But they also understood the notion that sometimes you do everything right and storms come and stuff out of your control comes. And that's just the world that we live in. But as Christians, we have... We have a tendency sometimes to create these scenarios for why things go wrong that aren't actually biblical. I'll give you an example of this. And it's 
the things that we blame on the devil. Now, the devil's real, Satan's real. The Bible says, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life to the full. The Bible also says about the enemy, he's the father of lies. It says that he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But we're also shown that he has no real power over us as believers. Because once we're in Christ, the best he can really do is discourage and distract. And yet some Christians will blame everything on, on the devil. Have you been around folks like this? Like, you know, I've been trying to lose weight. And I tell you, Satan has attacked my metabolism. He has attacked it. I put on five pounds. And it's the devil. I know it's the devil. And I bind him in his attempt. And I'm, I'm thinking... I don't think the devil cares about your love handles as much as you do. I, I don't picture him calling like a strategy session with the demons and guys like, listen, this is what we're going to focus on this, this week. I'm going to take the eyes off the big picture stuff. There's this lady on earth, Margaret Patterson. If your name's Margaret Patterson, by the way, sorry, it's a fictional name. She's trying to lose weight. I want you to focus all the evil energy of hell on this one thing, her metabolism. I, let's try to get her fat just to mess with her. This is all we're going to focus on this week. I don't picture like that's what's going on, right? I, I think that sometimes it's more cause and effect, the choice we're making, and sometimes step out of your control. I mean, I've had, I've had a thyroid disorder. I get that sometimes your body is out of whack and through no fault of your own, things aren't working the way that they should, and that's, that's how life goes sometimes. But the whole blaming the devil thing, I, I think about my uncle. This is a true story. This is years back. But I had an uncle who thought that he was gonna, this was a good idea. He was gonna quit his job, his actual job, and he was instead going to go to the horse track every day and pray about which horse was going to win. And by faith, God was going to provide. Stupidest thing I'd ever heard in my life. But I didn't say that because I wanted to see how it played out, right? So <laughs> sure enough, he'd go to the horse track and he'd come back. Satan deceived me today. And I try not to laugh. It's you can laugh, though. My family, this is ridiculous. You can laugh. So he's like, I, I was sure it was going to be that seven horse in the last race, and, and I, but it was Satan that was telling me that. And I'm like, you know what? You're just being an idiot. That Satan has nothing to do with, with you losing money at the horse track. Sometimes it's just cause and effect. You know, I've, on a more serious note, like I've got, I've got a friend from college. His name is Jason. He, I was in his wedding, and he was, he was a really good guy back then. And he wanted to be a doctor. And the reason why I wanted to be a doctor is because he wanted to go back home to eastern Kentucky where there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of drug abuse. And he wanted to be a change maker. He wanted to go back and be a difference maker and serve the community where he had grown up. And so he worked hard, first person in his family to finish school. I mean, he was just this success story. And we're so proud of him. It's just like he said, he went back home and he served as a doctor. And I kind of lost touch with Jason until just a few years ago, I, I kind of learned from another friend what had become of him. And my friend Jason, at some point along the way, he, he lost his way. And he started wanting to support like a really lavish lifestyle in the midst of all this poverty that he had come to serve. And, you know, and he was driving Ferraris and all these things that stood out. And that by itself isn't, isn't necessarily wrong. I mean, even though I drive an old Honda, but he, the Ferrari part isn't the sin. It's how he was funding that lifestyle. You see, the, the practice wasn't paying him what he thought that he deserved. And so he started... He started overprescribing opioids. He started contributing to the very problem that he had come there to eradicate. He started selling out and funding addiction, and he got busted. And my friend Jason is right now in federal prison. He's lost his family. 
and he's lost his license, and even once he gets out of prison, he'll never be able to be a doctor again. And it's heartbreaking for me, and it's heartbreaking for him. And, and Jason, if you're watching right now, and I hope you are, that's not the end of your story. Because the good news is we can make decisions that might disqualify us from a certain profession, but we can't ever disqualify ourselves from the grace of God. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we're not defined by our worst decision, by our worst mistake. Jesus has paid the price on the cross for it. But we have to sometimes take ownership and responsibility of the reason why I'm in this prison cell right now, either a physical one or a metaphorical one, is largely because of decisions I've made. And I repent for that, which means I'm sorry for that. And I wanna do my part to learn from this and move forward. I'm not defined by this because Jesus has come to set us free of the penalty of sin so that we can walk in new life in him. And that can be part of your testimony and not part of your identity. Whatever it is that you've done, whatever brokenness that you feel like you've contributed to in in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, in your work, you're not defined by any of that. And I'm so thankful that God is there to set us free, to say, listen, I've already paid the penalty for that. Yeah, you're still gonna walk in some natural consequences sometimes because that's just how life works. But that's not punishment per se from God. That's just the natural consequences of life. And what God calls us to do is not grow bitter in the midst of that, but to learn from it, to lean on him in it, and to say, this isn't gonna be what defines me, but I'm gonna learn from this, I'm gonna humble myself, and I'm gonna walk in a new way with God, and this isn't gonna be the end of my story. This is gonna be just a part of my testimony. I'm so thankful that God makes that possible. So sometimes, yeah, it happens as a result of bad choices, but here's, here's where it starts getting more mysterious. Sometimes bad things happen because of reasons known only to God. We're just not gonna have the full story on this side of heaven. And when we ask like, God, why is this happening? We don't always get the clear answer that we're looking for. Here's part of the reason why the Bible tells us, Jesus, uh, speaking through the, the prophet Isaiah, the Holy Spirit says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And guys, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we serve a God that is smarter than us, right? I'm thankful that the one running the universe is on a different intellectual plane than me. Because if I'm in charge, we're all dead within like the 30 seconds. Like, I, I can't do it. I'm thankful that there's stuff going on that's beyond our grasp. And so sometimes when somebody's going through a hardship, they're like, why is this happening? I have no problem saying, I don't know. And on this side of heaven, we might not know. I had a phone call this week with a man named Sergio. He doesn't live in this state. His, his sister's a creaker and asked him to watch online because he was going through a personal tragedy. And last week's sermon about what happens after we die could have been particularly meaningful to him because he was struggling. He lost his daughter, 24 years old, otherwise completely healthy. And in his home, she died of what they believed was an epileptic seizure, leaving behind a precious seven-month-old baby. And I talked to Sergio on the phone this week and was just listening to him tell this heartbreaking story and to be honest about where he is in his journey and the struggle that he's faced in his faith and the anger that he feels toward God. And, and he asked them that question that we all wanna know, why? Why would this happen? I said, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that God is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I know that one day God will wipe every tear from our eyes and he's gonna set all things right and make all things new. And in the meantime, even in that anger that you feel toward God, 
he is loving you through this and he is holding you through this. He is there with you in the midst of this pain. And I invited Sergio to watch today. And Sergio, if you're watching, just know that this whole church family is praying for your family during this time. And we don't pretend to understand the unique pain and heartbreak that you're feeling in this loss. But just know that you're not walking through it alone. God is with you. He is with you and he is for you in the midst of it. And so many in this room, so many watching online, so many at Grovetown, so many at South Campus have experienced loss that can't just be explained away in kind of this simple, cheesy, Hallmark card kind of answer of why bad things happen. It's okay to just say, it's heartbreaking, it's gut-wrenching, and I've, I've got no explanation for why that happened. But I know that God is good, and I know that we can trust him even in the midst of it. You know, the oldest book in the Bible is a reminder of this. The, the first book written, scholars believe, is a book called Job. Now, it's not the first book chronologically. If you open up your Bible, Genesis is the first book. But Job is the oldest book. So the very first thing written in, in the Bible was a story about a guy who proves how untrue karma really is. Because he's a guy that had done everything right. He'd, he was honest and hardworking and loved God and loved people and took care of his family. And yeah, he was prosperous at the beginning, but then through no fault of his own, he lost everything. He lost his kids. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost everything. And he was being challenged. Why do you have any faith at all? Why don't you just curse God and die? And his response in the first chapter of Job is one of the most faith-filled responses anywhere in the Bible. He says this. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away, but praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, whether the Lord gives or the Lord takes away. I know I can trust him. Now, by the end of this story, through the long, long and arduous hardship that Job endured and his friends turning on him and everything else, Job finally did get to his breaking point where he was doing what almost any human being would do in that situation. He's crying out in frustrated, angry desperation to God, saying, God, why? Like, why is this happening? And in one of the only documented one-on-one -on -one conversations that God has with, with a person in the Bible, God responds to Job. And he doesn't respond in the way that we would think he would respond, which is just further proof that this, these aren't made-up stories that this is the truth that's recorded in Scripture. And God's response to Job, when Job's like, why, is to essentially not answer Job's question. He, he doesn't. Instead, he reminds Job of who he is. He's like, Job, I'm God, and you're a person. Now, where were you when I set the world in motion? Where were you when I created the stars? Where were you when I created life? Like, I'm, I'm God. And essentially, he's reminding Job, you gotta just trust that I'm who I say I am, that I'm all powerful and that I'm loving and that I'm good and that I'm looking at this story from an eternal perspective and this temporary pain that you're feeling is all you can see right now, but there's so much more to the story and you're not gonna understand it on this side of heaven, but what you can do is trust me and trust that I'm good and trust that I'm for you and trust that I'm God and that you're not. And Job comes to that place of trust. I'm not gonna understand. I'm not gonna have all those answers that I want, but God, I know that you're with me and you're for me and I'm gonna trust you. And ultimately, Job was restored. First and foremost, his, his faith was restored. His heart was restored. And then ultimately, God blessed him in, 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 in some of those ways that he had lost. But again, it's not all about what happens in this life. What God is doing is always shaping us 
for eternity. And in eternity, that's where everything is gonna be made new and everything's gonna be set right. But what does happen in this life often is that God will use the hardships we face to become an opportunity for ministry. Here's a principle. God always brings good things out of bad circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean we have to call the bad circumstance good. Cancer is still bad. Death is still tragic. You don't have to look at those things. It's a false faith to look at a bad thing and feel like you have to call it good. But what God is saying is that even in the midst of the worst stuff that you're gonna experience in this life, God will bring good. For, for an eternal perspective, he will somehow bring good out of that pain. The Bible says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So that tragedy, that brokenness, that pain, that loss, if we'll trust that brokenness in our heartbreak into God's hands, then through that, God will bring something good. Again, it doesn't mean we have to call the tragedy a good thing. It doesn't mean we don't grieve, that we don't have gut-wrenching, heartbreaking tears and loss. But we can, in the midst of that, trust God is carrying me through this. It also means that when something bad happens or when we're going through something difficult, that God will want to use that hardship as an opportunity for you to experience his goodness and his wholeness in a new way. And often to experience ministry where you can influence others as a result of the pain you're feeling. So here's a story kind of about that. John chapter nine. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been born blind, blind from birth. Rabbi, teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? And here, this is their broken kind of karma thinking. Was it because of his sins or was it because of his parents' sin? They're thinking clearly somebody did something wrong and this guy's being punished. He's either being punished because he messed up or his parents messed up. And Jesus had to set him straight. He said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And ultimately, Jesus provides a supernatural healing and the place of that guy's greatest hardship became the place of his greatest miracle. And I've seen stories like this play out over and over in different people's lives. A few months ago, my wife Ashley and I were having dinner with some friends, Bo and Olivia Guidry. They're pastors in Louisiana and one of the churches that we've been able to travel to and, and do some marriage ministry this year, an amazing couple. We're having dinner with them, hearing more of their story. And Olivia shared that when she was growing up, she had a little sister and her little sister was born healthy and strong and everything was great, hitting all the benchmarks. But when she was about four years old, she started losing her hearing. And the, the parents tried to figure out why. They went to every doctor they could, every specialist. The parents had limited resources, but they spent nearly all they had to try to understand and, and solve this hearing loss. But Everything they did, it, it didn't work. And this little girl completely lost her hearing. She was totally deaf, kind of locked in a world all her own where at the time they didn't know how to communicate with her, she couldn't communicate with them. It was heartbreaking. They were so frustrated at God. Like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Like, we're, we're Christians. This little girl done nothing wrong. Why would you allow her to experience this kind of hardship? Her life's gonna be so difficult. And they, they made the heartbreaking decision to let her go temporarily a way to live at a school for the deaf where she could be immersed in this world and, and learn sign language and learn how to adapt to a world where she wouldn't be able to hear. And Olivia, as a young girl, she made the decision, I wanna be able to talk to my sister. And so I'm gonna learn sign language. And she dove in and she learned as well. And in the years that followed, there was a lot of difficulty for this family, a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of questions for God. God, why would you allow this to happen? This doesn't make any sense. Lord, you could have snapped your fingers and just healed her ears, but you didn't. 
why? And now Olivia is, is a grown woman looking back, said, now I'm, I'm getting a glimpse of, of why God allowed that to happen. She said, because what we've come to understand is that the deaf community, community with 100% hearing loss, is one of the most unreached people groups in the world in terms of the number that follow Christ. Because once somebody completely loses their hearing, they often, they, they join this community of other people who are deaf and they're closer to this community than they are to their own family because they share this world, they share this common communication. And in that world, in that culture, there are very few Christians. Because the way that we reach people as the church a lot of those things don't work with the deaf. We can't reach them with our worship music. We can't reach them with our podcasts. She said, but God can use me to reach them because I speak their language. God can use my sister to reach them because she understands their world. And my family has seen so many from this community come to faith in Christ that never would have known the good news of Jesus had my sister not lost her hearing. And so yeah, for years she lived thinking, God, why, why has this happened? Why am I a victim? And now she realized this hardship that she's endured, God has used it as part of her calling to go into the world, into this world that is so unreached and share the love of God. And yeah, she looks forward to the day when she gets to heaven and her ears are open and she's able to sing and praise and hear that worship music of heaven. But in the meantime, She's grown to become thankful for her world of silence because it's allowed her to focus on ministry in a way that would have otherwise been impossible. And there are story after story like that. I hear of people who use their greatest hardship to become an opportunity for ministry. They use that painful divorce they went through as an opportunity to be able to minister to people who are going through it. They use that tragic loss they experienced as a way to be able to minister to those who are experiencing that same kind of grief. They use their former addiction as a way to help people who were in this struggle of addiction right now to give them hope to say, I was where you are and let me tell you what God did and there's hope for you too. God doesn't waste any of our hearts. If we'll trust him with it, he'll use it as part of our ministry. And here's the hope we can hold on to in the midst of it. Because of Jesus, all the bad things we experience, guys, they're temporary and all the good things will last forever. That's the hope that we have. Bad things are gonna happen. Tragedy is gonna happen in this life. Unimaginable, unexplainable injustice and pain and loss. It's just gonna happen. There are gonna be tears. There's gonna be hardship. There's gonna be all kinds of emotions and all kinds of feelings and all kinds of questions. That through it all, if we'll hold on to this one truth, even in the midst of our pain and loss, we can hold on to that faith knowing Jesus is with me in this. For me, one of the greatest truths of the Bible, most comforting verses is that shortest verse, Jesus wept. It's all it says, Jesus cried. And it just reminds me again, we've got a savior who's not distant from our pain. He's there with us. I wanna share one more story with you guys before we wrap up, because this, every time I've seen this image I'm gonna show you, it's really touched me and it's moving and it, it's, it's sad and it's heartbreaking and it's hope-filled all at the same time. It's a story of a, a little boy named Matthew Robinson who was born with a lot, of, a lot of health challenges and physical disadvantages. And he lived his whole short life in a wheelchair and it was heartbreaking for his, his parents to see come the health struggles that he had. But yet there was a faith and a peace in this kid that 
you know, he came to faith in Christ. He loved the Lord. He looked forward to that day in heaven when he was going to be set free from his earthly limitations, where his body was going to work right, where he was going to be in the arms of Jesus, where he could run and play. And, and he looked forward to that day. And so when the day finally came for him to pass from this life into the next, his parents wanted to, to honor their son's legacy. They said, as people go to visit Matthew's grave, let's, let's make it a testimony to the faith that he had. And let's capture the moment when he was set free from the pain and the limitations he experienced on earth. And he was set free into the hands of Jesus. And so they designed a statue to serve as their son's gravestone. And I wanna show you a picture of this, this statue. People from all over the world come to visit Matthew's grave. And in it, with the heartbreak and the loss and the tragedy and the questions that are unanswered, why would, why would this have to happen to a young boy? Why would he experience this hardship at all? Those questions are still there and on this side of heaven, we might not have perfect answers, but what we do have is the hope and the truth of knowing that that pain he experienced was temporary and that joy and that peace and that wholeness that he experiences with Christ right now is something that's eternal. So I don't have, I don't have some perfect ribbon tied up present bow to, to sum up why do bad things happen because sometimes Sometimes I don't have any answer other than to know that we can trust God in the midst of it and that this final truth is truer than any hardship we will experience. Revelation says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So in the midst of our pain, when we ask Jesus, why, why is this happening? The answer he most often gives is just to remind us, number one, he's with us and to remind us what's coming. That that day is coming when he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes where the pain, the hardship, the injustice, all of it's gonna be gone. And that world we were created for, that perfect world that we we broke through sin will now be made right and made whole once and for all. And we'll experience that goodness and that peace with our Savior forever. And so for those of you here today, those of you at all of our campuses watching online, going through a a uniquely challenging season, I wanna pray for you and, and just pray that you're reminded that God is with you in it and that you can trust him. I also wanna pray for those who've never made that first and best decision to invite Jesus into your life because that's where this peace really starts, guys. That's the only way that we can experience all these truths is when we really truly put our faith and trust in him. And so if you haven't done that today, I wanna give you a chance to do it right now as all of us pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your goodness. I lift up those who are hurting right now, those who are experiencing doubt and pain and loss and bad news and devastation and difficulty and divorce and cancer and a million other hardships that are weighing them down as they walked into this place. Lord, let them feel lighter in this moment by reminding them that you're carrying them through this and you will never leave them or forsake them. Reminding them that God, we can experience your presence and closeness in unique ways in the midst of our pain and that the pain we feel in this life is indeed temporary and the joy we'll have for you is eternal. 
I pray for those here today who haven't experienced the fullness of that hope because they haven't yet put their faith and trust in you. Let today be the day where they make the best decision of their life, the one decision that will change their eternity. And in their own words, they pray a simple prayer. Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. Forgive me of all my bad choices. I know you paid the price for them all on the cross. And I receive that gift of grace you offer. So adopt me into your family. Make me into the person I was meant to be. And help me spend my life and my eternity living in your presence. For all of us, Lord, help us cling to the promises and truth and the hope of your word. We thank you that even in our hardship, you're there with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.